I come to today's subject uh, with a little bit of fear and trembling, a lot of fear and trembling, because it's, um, its importance cannot be overestimated. But neither can it be overestimated that it's something that's been trivialized in our day. And it's something that's easily misunderstood. As I was sitting here preparing myself to come up, I thought of something that will illustrate what I mean. If you go on YouTube and you put in Kenneth Hagen, the son, Kenneth Hagen, the son's name, there's a, a, there's a clip of, of him where he's walking around. Uh, allegedly, he's filled with the spirit and he can hardly stand. So he's got one man on his right and one man on his left, and he's staggering around. And, and the crowd behind him is all excited. And then he, re then he comes up and he touches a man on the shoulder. The message being, he's going to touch this guy and the spirit is going to come on this guy. So he touches the man. The man jumps up. He runs up to the platform. He stands on top of, he jumps up on top of the rostrum. He jumps over and runs out the back door, and the crowd goes nuts. Allow me to speak. This enshrines two things about the Holy Spirit in our day, which I think are disastrous. One is that somehow the Holy Spirit makes you special. If you are filled with the Spirit, you're special. Ladies and gentlemen, if you belong to Yeshua, we are all special. Amen. When the disciples came back in Luke chapter 10, and by the way, I'm teaching a Bible study on Luke every, ten, every Wednesday. Those of you who have come, thank you. Those of you who have not, you're welcome to visit. <laughs> At any rate, Yeshua says, and uh, he sends out 70 of his uh, disciples and they come back, and he gives them authority to heal the sick and to raise the dead, etc. They come back, and they're astounded. And they say, God, even the, they say, Yeshua, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he says, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you in, in my name, but rejoice that your names are written, written in heaven. So the first prevalent misunderstanding that causes us to misconstrue what we should know about the Holy Spirit is that somehow we're talking about how some of you, if you really get with it, you can become more special than other people. No! Number two, in our day, now what I'm going to say is pretty harsh, and I, I do that. It's part of my calling, the, the, what God has called me to do, to say things that maybe people don't like but are true. We've turned the Holy Spirit into entertainment. I'm going to say that again. We've turned the Holy Spirit into entertainment. You turn on television and watch people who talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and it's all hot dog. Isn't that great? And hallelujah. It's all entertainment. The Holy Spirit is not given to the community for our entertainment. The Holy Spirit is the presence, the dynamic presence of a holy God. It's God himself. The Holy Spirit is not given to us for entertainment. 
and I could almost cry over this because it's such a tragedy. A third thing, when I came to Yeshua Faith in the 1960s, I get confused, it was 63 or 64. Um, I know that uh, I was already a believer when Kennedy got shot, which was in 1963. So uh, it's 63. I was involved in a community of the Christian Missionary Alliance. There were no Messianic synagogues at that time. And the Christian Missionary Alliance is a good group of people. And they had a lot of respect for the Holy Spirit out there on the mission field. I, I went to a, a congregation that was built right into the headquarters building of the Christian Missionary Alliance. And I was surrounded by retired missionaries, people who had spent their lives in, in, in New Guinea, in Irian Jaya, in Vietnam, in various places. People would literally put their lives in the line and spent their whole lives serving. Their concept of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is very active out there in the mission field and anything can happen. But here at home, the motto of the Christian Mission Alliance was um, seek not, forbid not. Don't seek the Spirit and don't forbid. I want you to know it's kind of like don't ask, don't tell. Uh, it's a recipe for doing nothing. I want you to know we are supposed to seek the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Why do I say that? Yeshua says, uh, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He says in, in John chapter 7, he says, if any of you are thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. It's, it, Paul says, uh, earnestly, well, I love this, I wish I'd known this back there 20, 54 years ago, I went into a pool hall recently to shoot pool. I, haven't sh I, I said to the guy, they only charge me five bucks for an hour. That's not bad. It's the best entertainment for five dollars I can imagine. I said to the guy behind the counter, you know the last time I shot pool? He says, when? I said, 60 years ago. So one of the advantages of getting older is that you can really blow people's minds. So I became a believer 54 years ago. And I wish I could, I could have told them what? Uh, forbid not, uh, seek not, forbid not. Paul says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Does that sound like seek not, forbid not? So I want you to know that for reasons of God's own doing, and I, and I don't have time, nor should I, stand here today and tell you my whole biography. That's not what you're here for. I'm not here to talk about myself as a certain friend of mine who was married to a guy named Jan, reminded me a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I, uh, 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 I'm not here to talk about myself, but I will say that starting in 1988, God kind of grabbed me by the collar and said, come here, kid, I want to show you something. And I've been growing through various periods of my life. I've been growing in uh, not just curiosity, intense intense curiosity about the Holy Spirit. I've been going through growth spurts. Some people, including somebody in this congregation, tends to think that I'm not quite with it. I'll tell you why. I am theologically, you might almost call me theologically Pentecostal, but I am not culturally Pentecostal. 
You know the difference? I believe in the fullness of the Spirit, but I don't believe in Pentecostal shtick. And some people think, I'll tell you another story about Alvazion, when we were in our former location. Uh, my office, when I was the rabbi of the congregation, was right out where, uh, you, uh, you'll remember, Linda, you'll remember, uh, one of my doors in my office went right into the kitchen. And one day I, I come out my, the door of the kitchen, and there's two women in the congregation talking. And one woman says to the other, you know, you really ought to come back to the congregation because God is really doing something here. And the other woman said, well, I'm glad to hear that because there used to be a lot more hands in the air than there are now. Ladies and gentlemen, hand, does hands in the air indicate the presence of the Holy Spirit? No. In Nazi Germany, everybody had their hands in the air. Having the hands in the air is, to an extent, cultural shtick. Now, I'm not against it. The Bible teaches, oh, I was reading about King Solomon, when King Solomon is praying for the dedication of the temple, he, he has his hands lifted. I believe in lifting the hands in the air. I don't, but I don't believe that, I think we have to be careful not to associate our cultural shtick with the reality of the spirit. The Holy Spirit manifests himself differently in different places. And some people feel, I'll tell you one more story. Hazel Stone. Melissa knows Hazel Stone. Hazel Stone was a lady in San Francisco, a Jewish woman, who was born probably, a pro she was born before the First World War. Uh, I don't know exactly when she was born, but she died, she was 88. And uh, her mother was a Pentecostal, went to a place called Glad, Glad Tidings Tabernacle uh, in San Francisco. Hazel, uh, had no use for it. She thought her mother was a little crazy. When Hazel was about 40 years old, she went to visit this, the church one night because her mother was there every time the door was open. She went in and she told me the story. She said, honey, don't ask me how, but I went there and the Lord got me. Now, I want you to know, Hazel Stone, of all the people I've ever known, had the most profound evangelistic gift of anybody I've ever known. She would... We did a Bible study, and she would come every week and tell stories. And she was not showing off. She'd say, honey, I've got to tell you this story. Says, I was in my, she lived in a residence hotel in the Tenderloin District in San Francisco, which is not the desirable neighborhood. And she said, honey, the other night I was getting dressed for bed, and the Lord told me to go downstairs to Lefty O'Doul's, which is a saloon on Union Square go down to Lefty O'Doul's. So she said, so I got dressed and went down, I sat down, and within five minutes, a prostitute sat at the table with her. She led the woman to faith. That's a typical Hazel Stone story. But she, uh, she was not crazy, she was very level-headed, she was not a show-off, but she had a tremendous evangelistic gift and a very sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. But here's why I'm telling you the story. That night when she... Um, she went to that church where her mother was, and she said, honey, the Lord got me. And her years, 50 years subsequent, demonstrated, boy, he certainly did. When she went home, she had a sister, and her sister said to her, did you walk forward at a meeting? She said, no. She said, well, then you're not saved. Because her sister was associating cultural shtick 
with the reality of the spirit. So I'm giving us warnings now of this kind. I want you to know that the place of the Holy Spirit in the life of the people of God is more precious and more crucial than I could ever begin to describe. But this project is tremendously complicated by, it's obscured by, it's entangled in all kinds of, of precious misconceptions that we need to be prepared to reconsider. Okay? Now, I wasn't going to speak on the Holy Spirit this week because we've been teaching a series and the next um, uh, subject in the series would have been music of the seven characteristics of of, of how the temple was renewed in its worship and how we are being renewed in our worship. The next one was music. But when I saw the Haftarah this week that talks about not by might but by or by power but by my spirit, I said, no, 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 I've got to teach in the Holy Spirit. So what I'm going to give you today is, um, you know, I, I could do, we could talk for hours about this productively, but I'm only going to give you an orientation if I may. And uh, Father, teach us your way. We invite your spirit's presence. We welcome you, God. We confess ourselves to be, um, to be like Ziva, little Ziva. We don't know very much, but we're paying attention. So help us, like that precious baby to have our eyes wide open and teach us your way. Let's go on. This got, there's that quote from Zechariah. Next, next one, please, Sean. The, uh, the, the, sixth, this, the sixth foundation of our, wor of our renewed worship is this one. We should have done the fifth this week. This is the sixth. Uh, renewal in the mighty Holy Spirit. And this is that quote from Zechariah, today's Haftorah. Then he answered me, this is the word of Adonai to Zerubbabel, not by force, not by power, but by my spirit, says Adonai Tzavaot. Let's go on. There are three tensions that need to be resolved as we deal with this subject. The first tension is, what time is it? The second tension is, individualistic or communal. The third one is what I call restrained exceptionalism. We'll be looking at each of those today. Let's begin with what time it is. Paul says, we are those upon whom the end of the ages has come. What time is it in God's dealings Here's what the New Testament teaches. The age to come is here. It's not fully manifest, but it's through the death, the resurrection, and the ascension, and the pouring forth of the Spirit through Yeshua, the age to come is now leaking through. We are actually, you know, 
Jewish eschatology, concept of the, of, of the end of the age things, was that you have the uh, Olam Hazeh, this, this, this world, this, this age, then you have Olam Haba, the age to come. And that this one comes to here, this one stops, this one begins. This is not exactly the way God did it. We're living in the overlap between the age to come and the present age. The age to come is not fully here yet, but, but uh, it has begun. I'm reading another quote. Paul says in Romans 8.23, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. The age to come is the age of the Spirit, of the manifestation of God's presence that brings the universe back to where it always should have been. Uh, and we have the first fruits of the Spirit. It's the beginning of a greater harvest. We don't have it all, but we don't have nothing. Hebrews says that we are those who have tasted the heavenly gift. We've become sharers in the Ruach HaKodesh. We have tasted the goodness of God's word and the powers of the age to come. That's hot stuff. We've, talked, we've tasted powers of the age to come. Holland, have you ever seen anybody healed? Yeah, you ask Holland to tell you some stories sometime. Now, does everybody get healed? Do the people get healed who we love all the time? No. But do the powers of the age to come surprise us at times? Absolutely. And it's not a stunt that God is doing. It is the leaking through of the age to come. It's leaking through. We have tasted the heavenly gift. We've become sharers in the Ruach HaKodesh. We've tasted the goodness of God's word and the powers of the age to come. It's not fully here yet, but it's not absent. It's leaking through. Next bullet point. Peter says, we are living in the last days when God said he would pour out his spirit on everyone. On the day of Pentecost, he said, this is it. This is the time when God said he's going to pour out his spirit on everyone. So what time is it? It's the time of the spirit. Judaism teaches that the spirit of prophecy ended, stopped manifesting in the days of Malachi, 400 years before Yeshua. There are three reasons, and if, if, if you had been good, sweet, godly people and coming to my Bible study on Wednesday night, did I say that? I didn't mean to say that. I shouldn't have said that. Then you would know this. Uh, there were three reasons that the, uh, that the Jewish community assumed that the Spirit had stopped manifesting. One was the destruction of the temple. Second was sin. And the third was that God was leading the Jewish people from an age of prophetic expectation to an age of rationality. Those are the three opinions. The prophets pointed to a future time, messianic times, when the spirit of prophecy would again be manifest. But the Jewish community, in general, is still waiting for that time. And some have given up on it altogether. The New Covenant teaches that through Yeshua, the age of the spirit is upon us. Uh, uh, the term for this is inaugurated eschatology. That's the fancy word. That Yeshua has inaugurated the age to come. This is to be contrasted 
with futuristic eschatology, which says it's all off in the future, or with um, realized eschatology, which says it's all here now. Both of those are false. It's not all here, but it's not all future. It's been inaugurated, but it's still working its way out, okay? The presence of the spirit, the age of the spirit. So it's important for us to know what time it is. The age to come is peeking through. Thank you, Sean, you're doing a great job. We are living in the overlap between Olam Hazeh and Olam Haba, this age and the age to come. We're living between the already and the not yet. That's the phrase that's become a cliche that George Eldon Ladd developed in the 1950s. It's a brilliant insight. We're living between the already and the not yet. We already have something, but we still have the still not yet. I think of it like previews. Now, I don't know if movie theaters still have, they do. Previews are coming attractions. When I was a kid, you had double features. How many of you have ever been to a double feature? Okay, that's, uh, a lot of people will never see that. When I was a kid, they were all double features. You wouldn't go to the movies unless it was a double feature. But then you had previews of coming attractions. What are the movies that are coming up? We have previews of coming attractions with the Holy Spirit. We have a taste of what's coming. We don't have the whole film, but we have a taste of what's coming. Another metaphor is that we're being invited to a great feast. And what we're given is hors d'oeuvres off the table. We have a taste. And that makes all the difference. Let's go on. The second uh, tension, thank you, uh, is individualistic or communal. The Spirit's manifestations are given to the community working together, not to individuals working apart. This is an insight that came to me in the last month. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, Paul talks about us being the body and that the gifts are given to the body and that the body works as each part builds itself up together in love and each part does its part. And the eye should not say to the ear, I have no need of you. And the hand shouldn't say to the foot, I don't have need of you. Well, the point is, is that the spiritual manifestations are given to the community they're not given to individuals working separately. It's not with you sitting in front of your television watching TBN that the spirit is going to be richly manifest. The spirit is given to the community. This is a crucial insight. Therefore, the more our community is a Kahila Kadosha, the more it's a Kadusha, the more it is a holy community relating well to each other the more powerful the spirit will work, and vice versa. If we have relational problems with each other, if we as a community and as leaders in the community do not work out our stuff with each other, we stifle the work of the spirit. You understand? Yes. When the body is sick, the organs don't work well. And therefore, there is a continuity between the condition of the, of the community and the manifestation of the spirit. Okay. Finally, restrained exceptionalism. 
Here's a quote from 1 Corinthians 14. Um, I'm not going to talk about speaking in tongues today. It's something I used to avoid, but only for about 50 years. A little more than 50 years. I no longer avoid it, but I'm not going to talk about it today, except with this quote. Paul is writing, and this is a principle of restrained exceptionalism. He said, the Corinthians were very impressed with themselves. They had experienced a mighty infusion of the Holy Spirit. He says to them in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, you are not lagging behind in any gift as you await the coming of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. They were just stuffed with manifestations of the Spirit, but they were extremely impressed with themselves. And they were all speaking in tongues constantly as though it was a sign of the fact that the age to come was fully here and now all bets were off. They're living by entirely new rules. And Paul writes to them to tell them to calm down and get a grip of themselves. And here's one of the things he says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 23. So, if the whole congregation comes together with everybody speaking in tongues, and uninstructed people, that is, people who are not part of your crowd, or unbelievers come in, won't they say you're nuts? If you're all behaving in a way, uh, uh, in this way, and unbelievers or people who are not part of your crowd come in, won't they think you're awful strange? This is the principle of restrained exceptionalism. It is our responsibility that regardless of what our convictions are about the Holy Spirit, it's our responsibility, watch my lips, don't get weird. Weirdness, for many communities, is a badge of being special. It's not special. You're not special, you're just especially weird. It's our responsibility that the Holy Spirit makes us to be the most truly normal people anybody ever bumped into. Was Yeshua weird? No. He was the kind of guy that the losers and the prostitutes and the drunkards and the outcasts and the tax collectors and the poor people who had no friends in the world, they flocked to him and they didn't want to leave him alone. They followed him around. He was magnetic, but he wasn't weird. Pardon me? It was love. It was love, but some people in the name of love are just darn weird. Uh, uh, we, we, my, my word is restrained exceptionalism. Don't think that because you have the spirit, we're so exceptional that anything goes. That's what Paul wrote to the Corinthians about, and he says, no. And I'm just saying that, too. Let's go to the next, the next slide. The very next verse struck me this past week. I've never been struck with this before. This verse embodies what the highest goal we should have is for our congregation. The highest goal that we should have. This is the very next verse. Paul says, but if you all prophesy, if you all speak the mind of God to the current situation, not King James English. King James didn't come along for 1,600 years. So they didn't speak in King James English. They didn't say, oh, my children. Uh, and uh, prophecy, prophecy is, is simply speaking the mind of God, speaking insights 
from the mind of God to the current situation. Again, it's not special weirdness. It is the presence of God communicating. But if you all prophesy, and that was his goal, that everyone should be able to speak in such a way that it edifies the whole community. His problem with rampant speaking in tongues, he was not against speaking in tongues. He said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. You Corinthians, you're nuts about speaking in tongues. I got news for you, I speak in tongues more than you do. He says, but in the congregation, I would rather speak five words, uh, uh, intelligible words, than a thousand words, five thousand words in a tongue. You see, he says, tongues does no good to the community because nobody can understand you. So keep it to yourself, keep it at home. It's great stuff. I value it, he says, I will pray with the understanding and I'll pray with the spirit also. I love it, but I don't love it, just, I don't love it becoming central in the worship of the community because it's unintelligible. Speaking prophetically is the opposite. It's intelligible and, and it does everybody good. Now here's what he says. If you all prophesy and some unbeliever or uninstructed person enters, he is convicted of sin by all and he is brought under judgment by all. In other words, he recognizes that God is speaking in the community. And the secrets of his heart are laid bare. So he falls on his face and worships God, saying, God is really here among you. That is the highest goal for any congregation, that people come in, coming in would sense God is really here. I'll tell you another story. Lillian Smalls was a tough, cookie Jewish woman from Stockton, California. She made a living making photographic membership directories for churches. She'd been in every kind of church you can imagine, spoken to pastors, and because she was Jewish, they all witnessed to her. And she thought, uh, she thought it was all a crock. She had no use for it. She was very smart, very sassy, very opinionated. She didn't believe any of it. Then one year we had a gathering, it's called an in-gathering. I think it was, it must have been Shavuot at a place called Mount Hermon. And a fellow named El uh, Larry Brandt, who's now El Elazar Brandt, lives in Israel now, he had designed the liturgy for this event. And there was a liturgy, and there were processions with banners. And Lillian came to the meeting, and she sensed the presence of God. And that totally breached her, her, her defenses. 35 years of people sharing with her and witnessing to her, it just went nowhere. But the moment she sensed, wait a minute, God is here. That changed everything. It changed her life. So, what's our goal for the congregation? That by the grace of God, that when people come in here, they would sense that God is really in the midst. They won't sense that from weirdness. They won't sense that from people coming up to them and reminding them how special they are. You ever meet somebody who says, 
Oh, hello, Rusty. Um, my name is Stuart. I'm, I'm in the deliverance ministry. You ever meet somebody like that who, as soon as they have a conversation with you, they have to tell you within the first 30 seconds what their, what their shtick is? Oh, please. God bless you. It's nice you have that ministry. But it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about may God in his mercy manifest, so manifest his presence in our relationships and in our worship that people can't come and say, I don't know what's going on here, but God is in this place. All right. So I'm going to go a little over. I apologize. I do. It's wrong. But what I have to share with you is an important orientation, so bear with me. I've got five more minutes. There are four modalities of the Spirit's presence in our lives. Thank you, Sean. Oh, oh wait a minute. Hold it a second. Did I get, uh, 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 let's see, back up. Hmm. Okay, go on to the next one. I'll follow your list. It's different than mine. The, the Spirit, that's it. Four modalities of the Spirit's presence in our lives. This is very interesting. This is, this is uh, something that comes out of, you know, the, a lo- I've done a lot of reading since, the ni- since like 1988, especially in the last four and a half years when God grabbed me by the collar again and said, i got more to teach you. There are four modalities of the Spirit's presence among us. First is the Spirit prior. God's Spirit was at work on you before you believed. You can, many of you can think, back and you realize that God was after you before you believed. There used to be a hymn that said, I sought the Lord and afterward I knew he moved my heart to seek him, seeking me. It was not I who found, O Savior, true. No, I was found by thee. In other words, God was working on me before I was committed to believing in Yeshua. Can any of you attest to that? Okay, that's the spirit prior. There's four ways in which we experience the interaction of the Spirit. First is the Spirit prior. Number two, please, Sean. The Spirit within. No one can be a believer in Yeshua unless the Holy Spirit draws them and unless they have the Holy Spirit. Every Yeshua believer has the Spirit. You cannot be a believer in Yeshua unless the Holy Spirit comes in to you and bond with your spirit and makes you into a new creature. So that's the spirit within. That's what produces the fruit of the spirit. The spirit within. Number three, the spirit upon. There is a, there's a, did I mention that I'm teaching a Bible study on Wednesday nights? <laughs> from, from Luke and Acts. Well, from Luke and Acts, and we'll see this in Luke and Acts, there's another way in which the Spirit interacts with us, in which the Spirit comes upon us to empower us for something, that he manifests himself, especially in a person, in a a particular time, a particular place, for a particular purpose. You find this in the Older Testament. The Spirit comes upon Bezalel and and equips him to, to design the things for the tabernacle. But now this upon ministry of the Spirit, is available to all of God's people. And it's something that God just does when he does it. But, you know, Yeshua told the disciples, uh, Luke 24, he says, uh, uh, 
I want you to go and wait in Jerusalem until, until uh, I've sent forth the, the Spirit, what I promised you, until the Spirit comes upon you. At Pentecost, the disciples already had the Holy Spirit because he breathed on them in John chapter 20. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. They had the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit came upon them at Pentecost and empowered them, especially for their work. So that's another modality of the Spirit, that the Spirit can come upon us episodically for particular purposes. Finally, the Spirit among us. The Spirit is present in the community. Um, and um, it would take a lot of leadership, a lot of maturity, a lot of forbearance, a lot of patience, and a lot of willingness to resist manipulation for us to work out how to respond to the presence of the Spirit in the community. But those are the four modalities in which the Spirit interacts with us at this time in holy history. The Spirit prior, the Spirit within, the Spirit upon, the Spirit among. Almost done. Let's keep going. What do you got? Don't miss this. The coming of the Holy Spirit is good news, not for personal blessing or as a demonstration of individual giftedness. It is good news because he is the agent, the Spirit is the agent with the Father and the Son who is bringing Israel and the nations to God's great consummation. It's good news because this is the dynamic Spirit of God who is at work to bring uh, God's endgame strategy to completion. We celebrate the gifts of the Spirit as tokens that Yeshua has inaugurated the age to come in his resurrection and ascension. We don't celebrate the gifts for themselves. We don't celebrate them because it tells us how special we are. We celebrate them because if God is giving these gifts and if these manifestations are happening, then we know what time it is. And we know that things are drawing to a close and we have a privilege to be involved. Okay, so interacting with the presence of the Spirit in our services, how should the people of Avatsion interact with the presence of the Spirit in our services? Number one, we should not be passive about the presence of the Spirit, but active seekers. We should say, God, you should, we should sit here. I'm not, I don't want to do this you stuff. We should sit here every week and pray that God would have his way with us. We, we should not be couch potatoes. We should pray that God will have his way in our community and in our lives. We should invite him, uh, invite his presence. I'll be talking about music next time I speak. And it's part of the whole worship. Worship is about making God welcome. It's about throwing out the welcome mat. We should be doing that. We should not be passive about the presence of the Spirit, but active seekers earnestly desire these spiritual gifts. Secondly, we must not manipulate matters and seek to drum up the presence of the Spirit through emotionalism. There's something I call the gospel according to adrenaline. Have you ever been... Some of you have been to a meeting where they preach the gospel according to adrenaline. They have very fast music to get you really excited. They get you more excited. They yell at you quite a bit. They try to get you really pumped up. I can't stand that. And that's not the way God 
I'm not saying God can't work that way, but that's not what it's about. For me, it's the opposite of the presence of the Spirit. I, 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 I can't sense the presence of the Spirit when I'm being manipulated. So, finally, thank you, Sean. Oh. There is a chart that, that you had up before. Can you find that chart, young man? That one. All right, this is good stuff. Down the lower, lower left-hand corner is our awareness of us being in control. This is what happens at a meeting. Down the left-hand left -hand corner, lower left-hand corner, we're aware that we're in control of what goes on. But if you move over to the upper right-hand corner, that's our awareness of God being in control. So starting over on the left on that oblique, first, there's the philosophical presence of God. We can think about God being present everywhere. He's omnipresent. We can think about that. And that keeps us pretty much in control of the meeting. We're just thinking about God's philosophical presence. We all agree that he's fully pre he's present everywhere. Then you have the relational presence of God. God's presence is sensed differently where he's made to feel welcome. In a community where people are really worshiping God, you sense the presence of God differently than the fact God, God is, we're meeting in a church building, but even if this was a, a warehouse, God was in the warehouse before we showed up. But when we show up and we worship God, God's presence is, is manifest differently. So God is present differently in the congregation when we welcome him. Number three down there is um, there's a reciprocal presence of God. God says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. God's presence is, is experienced differently. When we are drawing near to God, he will draw near to us. So we're not just kind of chopped liver. We're not passive. Number four coming down is the operational presence of God. Now notice as we move down, the sense of our being controlled shrinks. The sense of God's being controlled increases gradually. Then we have the operational presence of God. All of us have been in situations where maybe through somebody teaching or whatever, we realize God is speaking to us. We realize the Holy Spirit is at work. When, when, uh, when a person has a word of knowledge, which, where something is revealed that could not be humanly known, people realize, wait a minute, God is here. That's the operational presence of God. Uh, when you're aware of that, your sense of the presence of God is enriched. And there's more of a sense that God has taken the initiative. And our initiative, we begin to loosen our initiative. Then, finally, the manifest presence of God. When the temple was built, you can read this in Second Chronicles chapter 5. When Solomon goes in to dedicate the temple, there are hundreds of priests and Levites, and musicians. And it's a very scripted event. And they're offering so many animals and sacrifices that bring the, the Ark of the Covenant into the temple that they can't even count them anymore. And when they come in, uh, when they come in, uh, God, God lights up the altar from above, uh, probably lightning or whatever. And the presence of God fills the building, uh, the, the Shekhinah, the presence of God 
manifests in the building so that they can no longer carry on their service. They have to get out because the presence of God is too rich there. They can't stand in his presence. Now, there, again, is the goal. At that point, you, you put your agenda aside and you say, okay, God, what, what do you want? So I'm just saying, so what do we do with this? When we come to services, we should come expectantly. We should come responsively. We should come asking that God would have his way with our community in every respect. So that, as I said before, so that our, our richest goal might somehow be accomplished. That people would come in and they'd say, I don't understand everything going on here. I don't even know why I came here today. But God is here. Let's pray. Father, it's just too much. This subject is too huge. It's as huge as you are in some ways. And because we're marinated in misconceptions and in fleshly agendas, our ability to understand is compromised. But thank you that you are here today. And we pray that a right understanding, an expectation, and a right vulnerability to your spirit would leak through, not just for us individually, but for this community, for as long as you choose to keep this candlestick in its place. We beg you for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness. In Yeshua's name. Amen.